As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hey, it's me, Fujiko, and I'm horny for... But I'm not actually, I'm here to steal your money. Ha-ha! Fuck, I got Fujiko'd again every time. For, <laughs> hold it for 50 years. I was thinking maybe now. Maybe, maybe now this she's time. actually horny. Naughty, naughty, Lupin. God damn it. God damn it. Just because of your impeccably drawn anime boobs. I, I, I completely forgot this pattern recognition of literally every single episode of an anime every that's been running you've from the ever 70s. had with me since 1965, I believe it even was, when the manga first came out. Uh, so that means, I guess, I'm a bruiser. Yeah, that means you must be Lupin the Third, Jake. I, I can be your nasty, murderous green jacket, Lupin, or I can be your cute and cuddly red jacket, Lupin. You don't know what jacket I'm wearing. It's an audio format. I could be any jacket, Lupin, you want. I, although I am explicitly not manga, Lupin, that dude's a fucking creep. <laughs> that dude is uh oh ooh, ooh, okay no 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 not a manga lupon no sir well uh then what is mildly stained athleisure wear lupon because that is currently what you're wearing jake what kind of personality all, does he have I, not a stain on me not impeccable <laughs> i'm actually not wearing pants right now i should just tell you that <laughs> welcome to our episode on Lupin the Third, I'm gonna really try to say it right the whole time. Is I definitely always thought it was Lupin. Lupin. Well, whatever you do, don't call him Edgar. That's yeah. the number one thing you can't call him. Holden, uh, it's all you have to do is listen to the theme song and watch like any episode of it, and it's just like from the. Get go! It's just Lupin the Third. Bum, yeah, yeah. Lupin. They like to say his name over and over and over again in all of the theme songs to the point where it's like, okay, we know his name. <laughs> uh, we got it. Lupin the Third is a Japanese manga series written and illustrated by Monkey Punch and is centered around a master thief named Arsène Lupin the Third. It first ran in Weekly Manga Action Magazine in 1967 and has since spawned six anime. TV series, 11 theatrically released animated films, two live action films, musicals, video games, and more. I mean, shout outs to Cliffhanger. I'll get it out of the way now. <laughs> do we do we gotta shout out Cliffhanger? It's the dragon, Dragon's Lair, right? Mm -hmm. It's the like weird kind of Dragon's Lair arcade cabinet game that took from the first two films, um, and that does include Castle of Cagliostro for its animation sequences, and if you hit up when you were supposed to hit down, uh, you got to put 18 more quarters in that machine. 
Yeah, that's right. So, uh, Lupin, uh, it's been great. You know, we we had our study session, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, every Sunday we do a study session, $15 on that Patreon. And uh, we... Got through a few different eras of Lupin. We got, which is nice. That's that's the fun of it, is how much the the characters basically are the same in the sense of like he's a master thief that usually ends up kind of working for good. You've got the femme fatale. You've got the master marksman. You've got the far too stern sword specialist that can cut through everything. This team and um oh what's the detective's name that is his uh, arch rival as well. Zenigata where Lupin uh, represents freedom and and wild chaos. Uh, Zenigata represents order and those sorts of basics are always there. But really the wonder of the series, the great thing about this series, so many different amazing talents have gotten to come in and besides those very fundamental aspects, really change Lupin's, even his personality traits uh, hugely. You know, completely like tone everything. You know, we get bluer in some episodes. We get weirdly, as I mentioned in the beginning, weirdly horny er in certain representations of Lupin. But we even have the fact that we have different colored jackets. So you instantly know what Lupin you're dealing with. It's not an ironclad rule. The number one thing I know Lupin fans will like correct you. It's like it's it's like it's like the iceberg meme. Like. Yeah. Level one is, hey, he wears different jackets. He wears different Level jackets. Level two they, is, yeah, yeah. Uh, the jackets don't necessarily, even in certain jacket eras, various episodes tend to Yeah, because there's the even formula. one era that is marked, I believe it's the blue, is it the blue jacket? There's one era where he's different every single episode, almost, mm-hmm. because the size of the animation team, the the just the approach they used to work on, the, the character designer for that season, I'll, I'll come back to this later, actually created a few different character designs for him that people could use depending on what type of Lupin they wanted for their oh particular episode. This is this is the brain poisoning that shotgunning, uh, like doing our research approach, which is like sometimes going in blind and trying to get everything in within a week. Uh, it's Lupin, yeah, the, it's this the was third hard. series, the pink jacket era that yeah. has the, uh, serious design and comedy designs. Right. And eventually they all kind of got smushed together as the turnaround time and like prep work and crunch yes. got ahead of them. But yes. Yeah. The thing I want to, I want to bring up is just that within most American understandings of cartoons, like there is childlike car- the cartoons are for kids and uh-huh. there are strict rules of what can and cannot be done with them. And Loop on the Third was this like opening salvo of like, what if you could blur the lines? What if there was an animation where, uh, you, you know, know, you want it, <laughs> you know, you need it. Yeah. Blurred lines. Domesticator. Go on, Jake. So, you know, it started as a young adult seinen manga series. And there's, you know, Lupin is like, explicitly a criminal anti-hero. He is out to like hurt others and pursue his own interests. And once it got blown, once it got its like wheels on, once it kind of became this institution, it's as reliable as Scooby-Doo. It's reliable Mm. as Charlie Brown. It's this amazing thing where 
from second to second, you could be watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon or a James Bond film. And it's literally, do you want a cool car chase full of explosions? Throw it in there. Do you want a slapstick kind of deal where like our main character is in his underwear swimming through the air trying to escape gunfire? Go ahead and do it. As long as the core characters are there and as long as you understand within the universe of Lupin, anything can happen. You you mentioned freedom and it really Mm. is within a Lupin story. Our characters can fly anywhere. They can do anything. They can just like take what it, you know, flaunt whatever rules of society they want. And it is just this amazing playground for action set pieces, for mystery stories, for like scintillating scenes of uh, horny ladies and nonstop action gunfire. Uh, A lot of times, you know, depending on the writer, they'll just be outright philosophical debates going on. You know, there'll be a character that just is talking about the essence of meaning. Some episodes will go into the supernatural or the idea of psychic powers or life after death. There's it's it's this amazing play set. Yeah. Where you can just almost do anything. One episode, a guy creates a new month, calls it Dicktober. And it's just, <laughs> we don't even know why. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I mean, yeah, it is It is a really fun playground. And of course, everybody points to uh, the undeniable uh, uh, Castle of Cagliostro, Miyazaki's first feature film that, uh, you know, as being the major touchstone of this. But there are so many incredible talents who touched this property and many of them before they went on and created their big made their big mark Mm -hmm. on anime uh afterwards with their own ips that uh you know that's i think the enduring legacy of this franchise is that you just you have this sandbox that Mm -hmm. so many were inspired by you know what's funny too is there's a lot of people who grew up who were inspired by the works of Monkey Punch, and then they wanted to make their mark. But then there's all these other, this whole other generation that's inspired by Miyazaki, you know, and and his and and Castle Cagliostro went on to make stuff. So they want to come and they want to make their mark on the Lupin franchise, you know, and maybe even in the way that. Uh, Miyazaki interpreted it, right? Which is a different Lupin than Monkey Punches in many, many aspects. So, yeah, I think that that is what's so wonderful about this. It's this blank canvas. Like, you just, it's like a build your own, you know, kind of video game. It's like a Minecraft or something. Like, here are the blocks. The blocks will always be the same, but you can do all this incredible variation with it, depending on how you see the blocks and what you want to bring to it. And it's really, really wonderful in that sense, because, I mean, we're talking again, something that started in 1967 and the most recent film came out in 2019. I mean, this is something that has not gone away even today. That is unbelievable. I don't know if it will ever go away because there's so many things that make the Lupin franchise So endearing. And one of those is the character of Lupin the third himself, because he is this amazing combination of like Batman, James Bond, Bart Simpson, Bugs Bunny, who is at once this wild eyed, like uh, hedonistic, self pleasure seeking, just like caveman, but also this in infinitely savvy detective who has all the angles covered. He's an old soul who is at once jaded, but also empathetic. It all depends on how the character works or, you know, who's writing him, who's animating him. But he is this incredible 
a power fantasy protagonist who always has a gadget up his sleeve and always has a way to one up his uh enemies and has an infinite supply of guns, cars, boats, gizmos right. to help him achieve his goals. He really is like J- Japan's James Bond, right? And and a very similar situation or before that Sherlock Holmes where there's all these iterations of this character throughout time and they it'll never seem to go away. There are, there's always a new Bond movie around the corner, a new take. So, yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that, Jake. Well, shall we get into it? The the history of this phenomenal franchise. I mean, I guess before we begin, we haven't really gotten personal with it. This week really was my crash course on Lupin the Third, and I watched Castle of Cagliostro. That's something that I'd always heard about. Of course, we covered it in our Miyazaki episode a little bit, but we'll get a little bit more in depth on that in this one. Also, though, um, I just feel like pretty much every manga anime thing we've almost everyone at some point you see the 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 words loop on the third mm-hmm. like it is just so constantly an inspiration for so much work so i was just glad to finally wrap my head around what this is to try to understand that better and just having done all these episodes now you said you'd seen castle of Cagliostro like multiple times is there mm-hmm. other lupon stuff that you enjoyed or was it just miyazaki's uh d- directorial debut so i definitely when i went through a huge uh ghibli ghibli phase uh i hunted down Ghibble castle Ghibbles. of Cagliostro. And was blown away by the just like beautiful uh, way that the animation was laid out, the just the dynamic kind of motion and forward momentum of the entire uh, proceedings. You know, the that opening car chase with the little Fiat 500 is legendary, so much so they made a whole ass Laserdisc game about yeah. it. And I was really intrigued by the character, but in every time I've like revisited Lupin. Uh, whether it's the TV show, watching an errant episode late night on Adult Swim, or watching a classic episode or one of the reboot series, I've always kind of uh, been, uh, I've always enjoyed it, but it never like set my heart afire because it is, I, I feel the same way about Scooby Doo. Mm. Like every, ca- you know, Jigen is always going to do some crazy thing with a handgun or a sniper rifle. Right at the last second when you don't expect him, Goemon is going to come in and slice a thing clean in half and like save the day. Fuchiko is going to do get captured and like be the damsel in distress. Breasts, Jake. She will have two of them. They will be on her chest Uh, above her stomach. Yeah. (laughs) And she will betray (laughs) Lupin and he'll be like, I'll get your number next time. (laughs) Lupin will be happy go lucky and then he'll make the serious face and you'll go like, oh, shit's serious right now. Oh, shit. All, you know, and so while. I can see how that's like comforting and that's reliable and you can come to appreciate those beats. A lot of times, you know, I just was like, I've experienced it. You know, I don't need to watch 200 straight episodes of it over and over and over again. Uh, Zenigata is going to be like, I got you, Lupin. And he's not going to get mm-hmm. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the same. You know, I don't. It's like Tom and Jerry. It's like right. so many other things where the formula is so set in stone that like I don't need to experience all of it. And there's also the fact that because it's been running for so long, it's really hard to separate the wheat from the chaff. It's, you know, you do have to do some digging, you know, 
There's an entire uh, subgenre of anime blog posts that's like, here's the episodes of Lupin the Third to help you get into it. Like, watch mm. this one, watch this one, skip this special, skip this movie. But it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate it. It doesn't mean right. that I am not uh, truly in awe of just the immaculate vibes of everything from that banging jazz soundtrack that always accompanies the proceedings, the neat use of like 1960s and 70s uh, design, just the the very analog nature of a lot of everything. Like Loop on the Third barely uses computers. Like it's it's almost like you don't. There's no smartphones in the world of Loop on the Third. Right. Everything is like Studebakers and Tommy Guns and typewriters. Very, very uh, Indiana Jonesy too. Almost mm-hmm. more than a Bond, you know, and that adventurous, old school adventurous spirit that mm-hmm. that shines through that you really love. It's actually Castle of Cagliostro in terms of its structure and everything. But yeah, awesome. All right, well, I, let's jump the, in. Basically, what I want is in summation. Dude, you, how dare you brandish that blade at me, Jake? It's a multi- Tool. It's a multi-tool. It's a pair <laughs> He's of pliers. He's a blade around. I'm trying to do an episode it's over here. It's a pair of pliers with extra steps. Whatever. I have a fidget problem. You know this, and you should respect and honor it. My ghost is wielding a blade. The, I mean, what is no happening knife. right now? There is no knife on this. This is TSA safe. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get what into it. What I'm trying it. to say, <laughs> can I finish? Hold it. Will the esteemed gentleman from North Carolina but let a man finish? Down. Just finish, but you have to part with the blade, Jake, please. Fine, fine. I'll take out the Nerf gun. All right, <laughs> oh, my God. He's fine. wielding a gun at me now, ladies and gentlemen. It's unbelievable. It's fine. <laughs> I do. Uh, my office space isn't surrounded by weapons for me to brandish, so I don't really know. I did you know, not I don't, shoot I don't the understand. Cat. I did not shoot the cat. <laughs> he shot the cat. I did not. This is libel. This he is did the thing. Uh, he lit, did the literal thing. Uh, you make a person do it at the beginning of a screenplay to make them evil. He did it at the beginning <laughs> of the podcast. What were you trying to say? If there were 300 episodes of Cowboy Bebop, seven movies, two spinoff series, and two dozen TV mm. specials, I don't know how mm-hmm. I'd feel about Cowboy Bebop, mm-hmm. but I would at least like still appreciate it. So the fact that there is so much yeah. good there, but also just so much raw material to get through does like present a challenge for someone trying to get into the franchise. Indeed. Agreed. Uh, All right, here we go. Monkey Punch. Let's talk about him. Monkey Punch was born and raised in Hokkaido in uh, 1936. His real name is Kazuhiko Kato. Kato was drawing from a very young age, of course, as most mangaka are. Uh, The children's magazines and newspapers he enjoyed were filled with little doodles he would make. He also loved Popeye comics, which had been translated and put out in Japan, and he would make his own sketches of the characters from the comic strip. Uh, Later on, he got really into Blondie strips, so there's some horniness there, I think. (laughs) I think we could point to some early horniness uh, with the Blondie strips, and Monkey Punch said... Then in junior high school, I was writing manga strips for the school newspapers and a rivalry of sorts developed between myself and the other artists who were doing the same thing. It became a challenge. We kept trying to improve and to make our work better. Before you knew it, there were these collections of our work that started to accumulate. And actually, one of my rivals also became a professional manga artist. We started young and a lot of people followed us. Sometimes when we would uh, actually get something published in a magazine, we would actually receive a prize or reward or something. Of some sort. Receiving that was actually, he says actually, 
a lot. Uh, I believe he wrote the film Love Actually, uh, the Japanese version recently. That was actually, actually a part of the inspiration or motivation to draw manga. Sometimes there were, were cash prizes as well, but often it was merchandise. So you could say in, the, in a way that in my junior high school years, I had a part-time job writing manga. But at that time, despite all this, I never really thought I would become a professional manga artiste. In one interview I read, uh, he talked about the fact that he grew up in a small fishing town in Hokkaido. Uh, if you know anything about that, it is hard work. It is rough work. Got to wake mm-hmm. up early. Got to just get the sea salt battering your tiny face. It's uh, And he looked at manga creation as basically his only ticket out of there. Because if he didn't do ah. that, he'd be stuck on the boats uh, just catching what I'm going to guess are uh, just tiny little pinchy crabs. Just getting yeah, the little crab crabs. Uh, there, I believe there is a merman that would uh, torture the town, the many people of the town as well. So, well, that's be dealing on with them. That. They didn't answer his riddles. <laughs> He's a tough riddles. Though. Sometimes you're too drunk to answer the riddles. Uh, you just want to be in your town. Uh, but regardless, he had many influences <laughs> at a young a drunk age. Ass Japanese fisherman just being like, ah, oh, fuck, man. Fuck. I don't is it know. time? Is it time? <laughs> I don't know. It's it just always guess time. I always just guess time if I'm given a riddle. At a young age, he turned to, uh, quote, worldly mystery works for story inspirations. And these are obvious, I think, influences for his uh, work with Lupin the Third, Lupin. Uh, Treasure Island, um, as well as Count of Monte Cristo, and especially the Three Musketeers. Treasure Island was written in the late 1800s and is a story of buccaneers and buried gold, whereas Monte Cristo is an adventurous revenge tale. Uh, it was written by the same author, Alexander Dumas. The Three Musketeers may have had the biggest influence on Mon- Monkey Punch's work. It is a uh, it is a swashbuckler tear. Ugh. It is a spot. <laughs> It is a swashbuckler tale (laughs) (laughs) centered around a guy named Charles de Bat's Castlemore de Artagnan. How did that part, I could say, fine, but the part right swashbuckler tale was impossible to say. If you're listening at home, just try and like mouth out the word swashbuckler. It like fills your cheeks. It's a lot of word. Well, it's about that guy whose name I just said and his encounter with the titular characters, the Three Musketeers and the many adventures they go on. Monkey Punch said, it might be my own analysis but I even feel that Lupin might be very similar to to D'Artagnan, uh, D'Artagnan. Milady, the character that comes out from the D- D'Artagnan stories, I think that person might even be familiar to Fujiko. So those kinds of works, I really think they did affect me at an early age. And he also was, just, speaking of sp- fucking solving riddles and shit, that's the kind of shit he was also into as a kid. He loved riddles, puzzles, mysteries, cites uh, Agatha Christie movies and novels, as well as shows like Columbo and Mission Impossible and the films of Alfred Hitchcock and the way those things are paste and the way they lay out the story these are all huge huge influences for him i'll leave the uh biggest influence for when he gets into actually writing lupon the third we'll get there in a second but uh after high school uh monkey punch then moves to tokyo to look for work he said after going there i went to technical school to study electronics so i could become a technician actually i did it so i could get work at a tv station at the time i just liked to draw i kept up on that and eventually had a chance to have my stuff published. 
Uh, but before he made it to publication, he was working with a, quote, group of other unknown artists. I think there were five of us all together to make Dojinchi. We've talked about Dojinchi before. It's like zines. It's self-publications. A publisher happened to see the Dojinchi and thought, oh, gee, this looks nice. At the time, I was mostly drawing caricatures that of people like James Bond, caricatures influenced by things like Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine, huge influence on Monkey Punch, big mm-hmm. influence on his approach. And you can even see stuff from like spy versus spy in his work and things of that nature. The uh, Going back to his quote, the publisher was a small company called Futabasha and I started out with what we call in Japan nonsense comics, just one, two, three, four panels, so four panel funny pages. They called them nonsense comics, which four I think coma, is hilarious. Yon coma, if you're a, if you're in a, if you're a goddamn weeb, you know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I had no skill, he said, uh, to go through the long story graphic novel format manga we call Gekiga. So I really had no practice and trained myself to do the job. So this is this incubation period for him where he's really trying to figure out how to tell bigger stories and things like that. The amount of like very specific Western cartoon influences is actually really fascinating because one of the things that definitely sets Lupin apart from uh, the entirety of like the rest of the anime industry is how unique the characters move and exist and their physicality. Like uh, Lupin is this lanky kind of guy. He's like uh, the way that he runs and operates and flies through the air. He operates basically on Mad Magazine cartoon logic. He's always like diving in that little like hands clasped together with his like feet coming out the sides kind of look. He's always like doing all this. He he like in an, in a in a universe that's full of like international terrorists and mobsters and evil cults. He's just this like Looney Tune that gets to just like fly through the air and just pirouette around his enemies. And it's definitely that same physicality from old Mad Magazine, from Popeye, even Blondie. Like it's this zoinks kaboing kind of energy that really makes him feel like he is like untethered, even from the laws of physics, like that level of freedom Mm -hmm. is just imbued in the character. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Lucky for Monkey Punch, uh, just so happened that Futabasha decided to put out a magazine called Manga Action around the same time that he had just started working there for a bit. And so they asked Monkey Punch to pitch a series for it. And literally the first thing he pitches is Lupin. A uh, real quick side note about the name. Hilariously enough, Kato doesn't really like the name Monkey Punch. He got it from the editor of the magazine. He said, I really don't know how he came up with it, but I couldn't really refuse him or disagree with him. So it just kind of stuck. And I've been stuck with it now for 36 years. It was actually supposed to be a placeholder name. He literally said they would change the name on the next project. It would be changed within the year. But of course, his first project ends up being Lupin the third so he's just sort of stuck with this name which is a running theme actually because we're about to get into uh, French novelist Maurice LeBlanc's uh, original work that this was based on that that guy was also stuck with that character he it was one of those guys that wanted to write like real 
serious literary works, <laughs> but he just he created this character, Arsene Lupin, uh, uh, in France back in the early 1900s, and it became a huge hit. And he tried to get out of writing that character, but it just kept bringing him back. I don't think Monkey Punch feels the same way about his Lupin. But I do think it's funny that you you throw something out there early in your career and then you're just stuck with it. And you're like, I don't want to be monkey punch. I mean, we're still called Wizard and the Bruiser. And yes. that was absolutely I mean, our placeholder name. It's Mother's Basement. It would have been Mother's Basement. So, or Mommy's Basement. It would have been Jake. Mommy. I specifically remember we, we were like, Mommy, that's the, yeah, that's that's where the, the real ticket. money's at. What would you rather? Would you rather Mommy's Basement or Wizard and the Bruiser? I think, it, you know, I, I, I'd prefer Wizard and the Bruiser. Uh, I would prefer uh, the way that search engine optimization and discoverability works. I would I would love to be called last podcast uh, on the left's nerdy history site. Last show. podcast on the nerd or yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. Comedy Absolutely. nerd history podcast featuring guys you might have heard of on previous last podcast on the left episodes. <laughs> Uh, maybe um, Bard and the Necromancer was one I think we were kicking Ooh. around as well. Bard and the Necromancer. We have to play way more D&D to get away with that. <laughs> Neither of us do any not a, not tabletop role playing. One weird theory that apparently was like uh, floating around for a while was that Monkey Punch was the studio name that uh, Kazuhiko Kato operated under because he, he worked with his brother Teruhiko Kato as his assistant while drafting Lupin the Third, mm. but that was that was a misunderstanding from an interview. Uh, his brother worked solely as an assistant; they were not like co-creators or co-partners in the creation of Lupin mm. the Third. Got it. Uh, yeah, it's just nope. It's just chaos. <laughs> That's why I had the name. Just complete chaos. Now he even says he's like, I really wish I could go back and ask that guy why he named me fucking Monkey Punch. I, it just <laughs> like the same reason why uh Donkey Kong was named Donkey Kong. Like oh, it's just oh, he said it. No, April. Hit I can't believe we're playing the fucking DK rap before we even got to Yuji Ono's <laughs> soundtrack for Lupin the <laughs> Third. Great, very skilled uh, score God composer. Damn God damn it. I'm not even mad anymore. I'm numb. I'm numb to the DK rap now. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> so a little more information on the original Lupin. 
uh, and I did not realize this. This was sort of a, a, its own Sherlock Holmes back in the day. This French novelist, Maurice LeBlanc, created this fictional gentleman, thief, and detective. This character first appeared in a series of short stories first published in the magazine Je Sois Tal in uh, 1905, and it became so successful for him that his entire writing career from then on would mainly be dedicated to writing Lupin novels, of which there are 17, along with 39 novellas. This Lupin also often works as a force for good while operating on the wrong side of the law, uh, much like Lupin III. Monkey Punch read 15 of LeBlanc's stories before starting in on Lupin III with the aim to make a comedy adventure series based on the character traits of LeBlanc's Lupin, but of course far hornier. <laughs> and uh, Monkey Punch said about uh, this of his titular character, in a word, he's all about freedom, isn't he? I think this makes him a reflection of what we'd like to see in ourselves. But Monkey Punch knew he also needed a posse for his overconfident thief, including a love interest, which is where femme fatale Fujiko Mine comes into play. Monkey Bunch said, I didn't have much in mind for Fujiko originally, but I wanted a strong character who contrasted with Lupin, who could see be seen as going against him, too. The name was uh, actually inspired by a picture of Mount Fuji, mm. and I am wondering if that is a breast what? situation. Just because he was inspired by a dizzying mountain <laughs> Just the, a majestic peak, and her name literally means Fuji. A co turns it into a lady's name, and Mine is the Japanese word for summit. To summit, yeah, to summit the mountain doesn't mean it was an <laughs> elaborate boob joke. In fact, you know, keeping with the truth, it was originally kind of a, a riff on the idea of the uh, interchangeable nature of Bond girls. Actually, yeah. when you think about Bond girls, they also have dumb pun horny names. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. So every episode, you know, even back then, the adventures were very episodic, uh, which carries over into kind of what makes the series good today. Um, and it was just every female character that was introduced with like an agenda or a secret all was named Fujiko Mine. And eventually he just got yeah. tired of the game and was like, fuck it. She's an actual person. She's a singular character. Yeah. So you you said it yourself uh, perfectly, but very must have been confused. I would have confused the shit out of me. It's like a completely different woman every single time. I don't yeah, know. Exactly. When I, just when I need to think that. of a dumb, horny anime name, I always reach for Himiko Vavoom. Uh -huh. Within my, I have, I have, there's been like 800 Himiko Vavooms that I have referenced <laughs> in my life. <laughs> so in a way, maybe she just represents this er ideal of a sexually liberated yet uh, cunning and brilliant female form. Yeah, it was always like a Tom and Jerry kind of thing. Very much. They're always she uses her raw sex to 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 get him his willies going. And then, you know, it usually ends up getting getting the upper hand on him and, and they go back and forth and they're just fucking with each other and playing this kind of cat and mouse while also operating together. Uh, so it just became like just a very staple uh, corner of what this whole franchise is about. Then there's also expert marksman Daisuke uh, Jigen, uh, the and master swordsman Goemon uh, Ishikawa, the 13th, I know Roman numerals. Thank I you. can count them in my head. It does not take too long. And uh, he has a sword that can cut through anything. Jigen is based on James Coburn's character in the film The Magnificent Seven. Great movie, by the way. Everyone should watch it. And Goemon uh, was implemented to get more of an East Asian element into the series with the two being enemies at first. But yeah, it just brings in that little bit of that. Because for the most part, it feels very Western. 
European, if anything. So the relationship between Lupin and Jigen is like the ultimate bro team. Like Jigen yeah. is fiercely loyal, uh, ne- not like overly verbose, just kind of in it for uh, the love of the game. His, you know, ability to be a marksman starts as like, hey, he's a pretty good shot. And basically uh, now he's the Hawkeye of anime. The dude could like take the wings off of right. a fly from a mile away with like a 38 special if he wanted to. Um, I I got I in the loop on the first uh, movie, which is the most recent one that came out. It's the CG yeah. one CG. Uh, in his opening scene. He shoots the nuts off of a a uh, highway sign and it rotates the bolt enough to have the sign fall down and he just like not even looking from the side of a moving car <laughs> like the dude is just a goddamn wizard with guns um another one of his for a very long time the character was ragingly misogynistic like to the point of like uh the he-man woman haters club like never trust the lady it was always him that had to be like oh come on lupon you're not gonna trust fujiko again like she's a dame (laughs) dames can't be trusted um but, you know, in almost every good loop on the third story, Jigen is literally in lockstep with him as he's making his getaways and driving his cool Italian cars and fighting through hordes of uh, vaguely coded cultist goons. And then, of course, you have to have the arch rival in Inspector Zenigata. Monkey Punch said Zenigata is Lupin's fiercest opponent. His personality, his ultra strict, ultra rigid, protect every rule personality in a sense is something that also really appeals to me. I really like how the contrast comes out between Lupin and Zenigata in my work. That whole combination of things really to me as a manga artist is what I strive for and I just realized it's opposite Batman and Joker. (laughs) Where it's the Joker's Lupin and Batman's Zenigata, but it's like, you know, you can see how that would be good opposite as much as it is. At this point, Harley Quinn and the Joker are more compelling uh, characters in the popular imagination than right. Batman at this point. Oh so yeah, for sure. It definitely works. Uh, alongside Lupin and Goemon and all these other characters, Zenigata is also a reference to a fictional character. Uh, this one was a uh, kind of Edo period uh, Sherlock Holmes, basically. Uh, but yes, a stalwart defender of the law uh, brought into what was then the modern age. And now he's a weird throwback in his like, trench code and fedora or not even fedora i don't even know what his weird little detective hat is uh-huh but he's definitely you know, he's got this inspector gadget kind of look which inspector yeah. gadget will come up later that's a little secret for later oh yeah i didn't know that oh i'm excited now really he's gonna be in this episode yeah all right <laughs> Um, the initial series ran in weekly manga action for 94 chapters. That was uh, starting in August of 1967. Additional chapters were released starting in 1971 under the name Lupin the Third New Adventures. Monkey Punch put out a second Lupin manga titled Shin Lupin the Third in 1977, and later other authors took a crack at the series, such as Lupin the Third M, done by Yukio Miyama in 2004, and Lupin the Third H by Naoya. Hayakawa in 2009. There's just like 
tons of credits. It's dizzying. I mean, what's the deal? Do you know? Do you have a handle on the manga outside of like what Monkey Punch did or or, or the as the runs went before we get into the anime? So uh, I think the key thing you got to know about the manga is that uh, the series gets way darker and way more explicit than the animated shows did. Uh, even at their like most lascivious, uh, horny, I believe is the word you used. Mm-hmm. Brutally horny. Yeah, yeah. Lupin himself commits like a lot of what I'm going to call cheeky sexual assaults because he is like explicitly a criminal. It was the 60s and 70s. This was a mature reader publication. And so if you are going into this having just watched maybe Castle of Cagliostro, thinking mm. that, you know, these characters are just like endearing gentlemen crooks with hearts of gold, that will very quickly uh, disillusion you if you go straight into the manga without kind of taking that grain of salt. Now, would you say that there were many that did manipulate their own genitals while appreciating the works of the uh, well, Lupin Monkey manga? Well, Punch's art style is very loose, very uh, kind of has this like nib pen kind of just ink on paper scratchiness that I would uh, mm. describe. So, I mean, believe me, I have popped my share of illicit Japanese <laughs> cartoon boners uh, oh, in my all life. All right, Jamie, don't need to get it all that now. I I'm was 15 years old and had the internet. <laughs> I didn't have a choice. <laughs> what are we it. doing here, all right? I mean, come on. Uh, Jake, please. <laughs> let nubs. he, let he, I want everybody who's listening to this right now uh, it's, 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 if you are if you are like Holden and never once had weird thoughts about an anime lady, then by all means correct me. But I think I speak for trillions of people. Lock him up, I say. Lock him up. You're gonna have Throw to lock all key. of us up, Holden. We are legion. <laughs> I would we love to lock you all up. I would love to quarantine you all on some <laughs> island or something and make you fight to the death. But until that time can come, let's get into the. And uh, I'm not. I feel like not literally. Let's get into uh, the anime run, starting with Lupin the Third Part One, the classic adventures. Uh, over at a production company called Tokyo Movie. This is now known as TMS Entertainment, uh, right? Tokyo Movie Shin Shincha. Mm -hmm. Shincha. An animator named Gisaburo Suji suggested to company founder Yutaka Fujioka that they should look into adapting Monkey Punch's hit manga into a TV series. Unfortunately, Tokyo Mo Movie didn't really have the resources at that time for a full-on series, so they created a pilot film. I think it's actually just called Pilot Film mm -hmm. uh, instead to try to get backing that way, and apparently the product was pretty good for the time. However, you brought this up before, that Lupin was kind of the first cartoon, like uh, cartoons, weird feels anime. weird to say, but anime to air that did that did de you know wasn't just for the kids and dealt with you know dealt with adult themes. So it was a tough sell. They had issues getting a backer for this project because of the horniness and the half hards that uh, it was inspiring and pants. I mean, uh, from the, the viewers is, of the pilot. the main character is literally a criminal. Yes, right. you know, this is not, uh, you know, an era where despite all the cool underground art that was happening, you know, you can't just have on a major network a main right. character flaunt the law and have it be the protagonist without consequences. 
Well, there was also a side character they created named Finger Blast Jerry, and uh, they were like, well, well get this guy out of here. Well, that's based on the Dutch novel, <laughs> Jerry Do Finger Blast. Oh, I forgot. And there he were meets, legal that's issues. Right, he, he meets Sherlock Holmes in yeah, that one yeah, yeah. Uh, no, novella. I forgot about that. They they duke it out. They fight uh, over, I, I believe, some woman. So, yeah, um, it finally, in 1971, Yomiuri Television agreed to produce a full-on TV adaptation of the manga. The director of the pilot was still at Tokyo Movie and was signed on to direct, and Yasuo Atsuka, who co-wrote the pilot, was assigned to do character design. Ratings for this first run actually did not meet expectations, and after butting heads with the powers that be, Osumi refused to budge on broadening the appeal of the show, and ended up dropping from the project after episode 9. So um, they needed someone to dole the edge, shall we say, a little bit from the show to get as many viewers as they could. And so they bring in two new recruits to Tokyo Movie, and those two people are Hayao Miyazaki and Isao Takahata. And these two come in, finish out the rest of um, part one, um, and I believe they uh, – do they touch part two? Oh, no, absolutely. They, absolutely. Or yes, well, they do, but they only for a couple episodes, right? Mm. And uh, in between, they end up making The Castle of Cagliostro. So let's get into it. Uh they they finish that first uh, series. They decide let's let's do a movie before Castle of Cagliostro. There was actually another feature film. Uh, it was called The Mystery of Mamo. Well, first it was just called Lupin the Third, the movie. Then it was called Lupin versus the Clone. And uh, for a lot of diehards, Mystery of Mamo is actually one of the movies that they kind of use as their touchstone because it does have a much harsher edge. There is like. Drug trip sequences, weird sci-fi elements. The main villain is just a freaky little guy that is like uh, ruminating on the realities of like death and mortality. Uh, it is chock full of gonzo design and animation techniques. And it really kind of, for all the ways that Castle Cagliostro kind of softened Lupin and made him more universally appealing, Mamo kind of hits home the weird edge that also is contained within the multiplicity that is the Lupin franchise. Yeah, this was actually Tokyo Movie Shinja's first feature-length film, uh, full-length feature at least. Production took 15 months. Uh, there was 1,315 staff members uh, to complete on a budget equal of that of most big-time live-action films. Uh, that seems like an absurd amount of staff members. I hope I got that number right. That's so many people. The movie did quite well. And uh, that is that is why they were able to make the sequel with Castle of Cagliostro. Yasuo Otsuka, who served as animation director on the on the uh, on the last film, asked uh, Miyazaki, who had never directed a feature film before, to take the reins on the next Loop in the Third movie. Miyazaki said that after the second series and the movie, quote, I felt that Lupin had seen all the glory and ended all its chapters, so I was quite astonished when they started up again. He had two months to develop his version of the staple characters for the movie, as Otsuka said in interviews that there had been enough versions of the franchise at that point that one could really make their own out of it. And this Miyazaki doing this with Castle of Cagliostro, by the way, is really what starts the trend of different strong voiced directors, creators coming in and using it as a tapestry. Mm. 
Miyazaki said, I like the energy of this comic. Beyond his drawing sense, I felt the overwhelming energy and hungry spirit from the author. That is why Lupin III himself got much of the same characteristics. The hungry spirit. He was not a cool, unaffected fellow. I believe he was a, a reflection of Monkey Punch himself back then. We found ourselves in common with his hungry spirit as anime creators. So as we created the animation... We felt that these characters to be so similar and close to us, even when I first read the comic, I felt that way. That is one of the things that uh, Miyazaki and uh, Takahata uh, kind of brought to the character is that a lot of those early episodes of Lupin the Third, like the whole crew is kind of like weirdly cool and disaffected. It kind of has this like Guy Ritchie kind of feel where like these are hardened criminals that don't give a fuck and they're just going about their day doing cool badass shit. Whereas uh, in a lot of the later stuff, yeah, Lupin meets people and cares about them and kind of wants to do the right thing, even if it costs him a big score. And that kind of softens the character a lot. Um, also, another you mentioned uh, Yasuo Otsuka. Uh, he was a huge influence on kind of what made Lupin the third cool, because one of the things that like really Lupin kind of brought into the mix was a focus on like material coolness like the cars that he would drive the watch that he had the guns he would use were all kind of faithfully uh reproduced in the show and like lupon would always take a second and be like ah no this is like the good shit right here and it was kind of part of the escapist fantasy that lupon always had like the best of the best the coolest gear and otsuka kind of said like i wanted something that would let me draw all my favorite cars and guns and gadgets and girls uh-huh. And that's really what I wanted Lupin to be about. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they they definitely got on in that sense. And, you know, Miyazaki obsessed with modes of transportation, with automobiles, with airships, seaplanes, modes modes of flight. Yeah. And and, and so this was like a perfect platform to him to just go nuts with all that stuff. And uh, in a particular specific time. Uh, you know, he wanted uh, to approach the character with his youth a little bit behind him and create this very specific time period for the character. All I could think was the image of Lupin lived in his glory in the 60s and early 70s, now living in the regret and shame for his young and wild life. He is over the fame and status which came with the money. He is no longer a man who would pull out the most rare and expensive cigarette lighter to light his cigarette anymore. He does not give a single damn about such thing. He is fine with the cheap disposal one as long as it does the job that was my image of Lupin I felt like I finally understood Lupin and based on that image I created this film he also made the calculated decision not to make a film for existing fans and to work from a mostly blank canvas taking inspiration from the source material of the source material he was more influenced by the novels of Maurice LeBlanc and one in particular the 12th novel in the Lupin series Countess of Cagliostro uh, and he borrowed names from that, but also some basic character traits with Lupin in this movie more resembling the original Lupin uh, than the one Monkey Punch had envisioned. And so, again, that's why we have this like broader appeal thing that ended up making its way to America and really shining there and influencing a lot of uh, animation directors and things like that. Uh, the film was actually considered a box office disappointment in Japan, uh, with many fans upset at the altered portrayal of the character. And that's another thing we'll see with this franchise. What does well in Japan might not do quite as well in America and vice versa. We also have this uh, reoccurring situation where it actually doesn't do that great in Japan, but because of the different take on the character, it actually plays really well 
overseas, especially outside of any context to, to be able to complain about, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, there was uh, so many people were blown away by the animation techniques in this movie and, uh, people such as John Lasseter of Pixar fame were heavily inspired by Castle of Cagliostro. And then of course, later is Miyazaki's amazing film catalog expands and more and more people become a fan of his work. They go back to that first film Mm -hmm. and can really appreciate it. And then that's going to turn them on to the whole franchise of Lupin and you know, it just keeps going on and on and on. So yeah, it, it's definitely such a major touchstone. It's like first came Monkey Punch, then came Miyazaki's take with Castle. Um, but the franchise keeps going. Anything else you want to say about Castle of Cagliostro before we move back into the uh, anime series? Uh, it's one of the most beautiful, exciting, heartwarming, well-paced uh, animated movies ever made. Uh, the animation, like in terms of just raw frame count and like, uh, Sakuga special like uh, fidelity uh, is not as strong as uh, you know a lot of modern stuff, even stuff done by Ghibli. But the just sheer craftsmanship in how it's staged, how it's timed, how it's framed, just if you have any appreciation for just individual choices and creative uh, ideas within the artwork of animation, you will just be jaw dropping, being like. Oh, that looked so cool. That shot was so cool. Something you mentioned to me when we were doing the study session, which I agree, is it's kind of fun and refreshing to see Miyazaki covering this kind of material because later on we get like childlike wonder Mm. and that sort of thing. But it's kind of fun to see him make like a thief Bond style like action piece. Uh, It's it's definitely a bit of a, a departure, I feel like, from what he would later get into. Uh, stylistically and or just source material wise. So yeah, I, I really, it's really fun to see Miyazaki like showing gunfights and stuff and bringing that Miyazaki visual, um, you know, just incredible talent uh, with animation to like a uh, car chase uh, shootout, you know, things of that nature. In series two, in the red jacket years, actually uh, two of the last episodes that aired were uh, Miyazaki kind of coming back and kind of doing a victory lap. Uh, those two episodes, uh, Albatross, Wings of Death, and uh, Farewell, My Beloved Lupin. Which is which is the finale, by the way, Farewell, yeah. Beloved Lupin. It's episodes 145 and 155. Have incredible, like, we, um, they're not even Easter eggs because there's designs and themes and uh, shots that would end up being used in later Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. And characters, yeah. There's the evil scientist character from one of the episodes. Uh, you end up seeing that that same character design in Castle in the Sky and Spirited Away. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, also, uh, yeah, he did it under the pseudonym Terakomu, so that might uh, have... Uh, that might have an impact on you trying to find these episodes. I definitely recommend watching them. Uh, we watched Albatross Wings of Death, and it's fantastic. A lot of air uh, combat kind of stuff going on, which is a lot of fun to watch, uh, especially how Miyazaki does uh, airplanes and warships and things like that. It, it's it's great. But yeah, this you just said it yourself. This series is generally referred to as the Red Jacket series. And that gives you a good idea of what era we're in. Um, A lot of episodes, too. I just mentioned the finale was episode 155. Mm -hmm. Uh, The series does kind of continue this lighter tone, this more exaggerated animation, a little more over-the-top, slapsticky, 
a lot of fun. I mean, there's some real silly stuff in Albatross. And so, yeah, definitely Miyazaki, I think, impacted that uh, moving forward. So for for a while, as the red jacket goes, it's a little more little more lighthearted, a little more silly. Uh, but then in the mid-80s, Lupin gets a pink jacket for part three, and this one runs for 50 episodes. And this one is the one where we have kind of a variation from episode to episode. Yuzu Aoki, who served as character designer and animation supervisor, did three designs for Lupin, hard, soft, and comical. And hard was hard as nails. You couldn't, it was a boner so long, it was always off frame by the end of it. You can never see the tip. Uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, and this was based on the different eras up to this point. So they ended up using them all throughout the run of the show. There was a very wide variance from episode to episode in terms of, you know, tone and uh, animation approach even. And that also had to do with the very large team of animators. So the pink jacket for sure is the most like variable mm -hmm. era of Lupin. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In between parts two and three, a project was launched to try and bring Lupin to the West. Uh, it was a collaboration between TMS and uh, French animation conglomeration DIC, D-I-C, whose name we've discussed. Uh, does it cheaper is what they call it. Ah. Uh, it was supposed to be called Lupin the Eighth, and it was Fix supposed it again, to be Tony. an updated version of Lupin the Third, set in the future where Lupin had all sorts of cybernetic gadgets and sci-fi concepts and helped solve crimes in the future. Uh, eventually, uh, you know, LeBlanc, the uh, creator of the original, uh, well, his estate, I should say, uh, wanted a large sum of money for use of the character's name because this was always an issue with the uh, property, was that Japan had different copyright laws than the Western world. So, while uh, Monkey Punch was absolutely free to use the Lupin name in his home country, uh -huh. all the attempts to bring it over overseas had to be immensely edited or switched around. Uh, they would call the character Rupon. They would call him just Wolf, which is just the English translation of the word Lupin. Um, in, <laughs> they even brought it to France and they had to change his name to Edgar, Detective Cambriolet, which means uh, Edgar, Detective Burglar. Yep, and of course, there was that run in England where he ended up not being a character altogether and instead a type of mustard <laughs> with gray lupon. I that I should have laughed at that, Holden. That was very <laughs> clever. You, I know that was off the dome. I respect your comedy instincts and the fact I've that I've been sitting on it for several minutes, Jake. Uh, au contraire, I've been sitting on that one for quite some time. Yada, yada, yada. With this 
uh, wrench in the gears for making this cool, updated Western collaboration Lupin reboot series. The project was eventually dropped, but several of the team members took concepts from that, and the partnership stayed with a new series called Inspector Gadget. Wow. That's how it comes back? Mm-hmm. If you are a fan of Lupin the Third and you look at... A, the animation style, B, the character mm-hmm. designs, and C, the way that the characters are always solving mysteries and using little grappling hooks and silly gadgets. Right. It really is like a weird offshoot uh, kind of rhizome from the core of Lupin. Far less horny, though, I must say. Incredibly Far less. less. So, uh, you know, actually Lupin takes quite a bit of a break from being on the television after the 80s, uh, but there were some films to come out from uh, in the 80s and 90s kind of keep the franchise going. Um, Pink Jacket Lupin uh, comes back with um, the Fuma Conspiracy. Uh, that uh, left a lot of Japanese fans upset, actually. The voice cast had been replaced with a new one due to budgetary concerns. Also, and now we'll talk about him, composer Yuji Ono was also replaced for the same reason. Uh, Yuji Ono had been composing pretty much this whole time on Lupin. Uh, if not, not the, the first whole time. season, the second not season. The first From season. second season onward, he is the guy who makes those cool goddamn saxophone riffs that you associate yeah, with Lupin the it's definitely someone who grew up really into jazz. Ono taught himself jazz uh, playing in high school. He joins a prestigious big band in college and became a composer for Lupin the Third Part Two after completing just one film back in the late 70s, so early on in his scoring days. Uh, also, it should be noted, Yasuo Yamada had been the voice actor for Arsene Lupin the Third starting in 1971, and he and a Monkey Punch almost had a falling out over this recasting situation because he thought it was Monkey Punch's decision when it was really the studios trying to cut corners on the budget. Uh, it should be also be mentioned uh, a little fun fact about Yasuo Yamada. He was famous as well for being the Japanese dub voice for Clint Eastwood mm. uh, since the film Rawhide. And at one point they tried to replace him with a different actor and uh, the fans protested saying, Clint, East- Clint Eastwood sounds weird in this one. So they actually, uh, he, he ended up being such a mainstay of that, uh, the Japanese dub for that actor. It's kind of fun. Uh, this movie is actually one of the more popular ones from the franchise franchise in America because again out of context uh American audiences can appreciate it but Japan Definitely for the reasons I just listed, it it wasn't quite uh, such a hit. Uh, I think people were frustrated about how different uh, it was with the different voice cast. And also that Yasuo Yamada would end up passing away, I believe, before the uh, next film, Farewell to Nostradamus. There was actually a bit of an ode to him uh, in that movie. I don't have a lot on Farewell to Nostradamus besides that. Seems like it kind of came and went. Uh, the last film uh, to come out for almost two decades was Lupin the Third, Dead or Alive, and that was actually directed by Monkey Punch himself. However, he did not love the experience. When asked about it in an interview, he said he didn't really want to talk about it. He said, it wasn't something I wanted to do on my own. I was approached to do it. We were on a real tight time crunch. The movie was produced in five months, and basically it was decided that this movie was going to be made, and they didn't have a director, so I unwillingly accepted the role. However, I feel it was the voice actors and the other people involved in the project that saved it. The one thing I learned from doing this is that more than even myself drawing manga by myself, it took more than a thousand times the energy to produce and direct this movie, and I really don't 
want to do it again. Uh, do you have any? Did you see any of these other films? Is there anything you want to talk about when it comes to the the movies of the and OVAs of the eighties and nineties? I did not end up seeing. Uh I did not end up watching like Fuma Conspiracy or Fellow of Nostradamus or Dead or Alive. Uh, the what I did end up watching, which is another entire leg of Lupin con- content, is the television specials, which were their own anywhere from hour to full movie length annual iterations of the character mm. that were running almost near continuously from 1989 to 2013 every year on uh, Japanese channel NTV. Um, NTV, not MTV. Uh, I did watch Bye Bye Lady Liberty, which was this uh, kind of crazy uh, convoluted thing that involved ancient cults and like immortal demon lords and stealing the Statue of Liberty and flying it to hide it in the Grand Canyon and like a boy genius and a computer virus. It really captured how gonzo a lot of these standalone loop on adventures go. Because it's it's like uh, like I said, it's like Scooby Doo. These characters are pretty much set in stone, so yeah. you just have to put them in increasingly weird situations with increasingly weird side characters. Because those are the only characters you can actually like do anything with. You can't right. kill Lupin. You can't have him break up with Fujiko. You can't have Zenigata take uh, capture him. You can't have Jigen take his fucking hat off. Like uh, you know, it kind of absolutely feels like. Scooby-Doo is literally the only thing I can think of to compare it to because there's just a million iterations, a million individual adventures that all hit the same kind of notes. And it's up to the uh, directors and the writers and the animators and the voice actors to just put whatever pizzazz they can on it. Yeah. I mean, to be a little more fair, I think it's more like Bond than Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. Follows such a formula, mm. whereas they were able to, you know, play with it, it in different plot lines. But, but much like Bond, like James Bond can't get married, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, those it's that sort of thing, for sure. And the general flow of a Bond movie is quite similar, and you need those those you know standpost characters and elements uh, every single standpost. Yeah, yeah. Those words. I'm just putting, yeah, standpost. You know, those things that are in every movie the, from hey, certain folks, franchises. this is a great time to mention. We are going live on tour. We've been working very hard <laughs> on writing, creating, it assembling, promoting the show. <laughs> it is the killer of, it is my poison ivy. No, um, yeah, check us out. Release the butthole cut. We're coming all over the place. Unless you're listening to this in three years from the time of his recording, then we're not on tour. Or maybe we are, but we're hopefully we're in like Japan or something. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But either way, uh, after the mid-80s, the franchise wouldn't get the television treatment for several, several years, as I mentioned before. And it was uh, a show that's actually not even a full-on Lupin show called The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, which, of course... Centers around Fujiko, uh, which aired in 2012, uh, and it was a series that ran for 13 episodes. That was the next thing to come out in the franchise, uh, at least on television, uh, as like a, a episodic show. Would and it, it surprise the- you to know that that show was super horny? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> it will surprise me though that it was directed by a Jake. <gasps> 
woman. A woman can direct. Yeah, dude. Not only that, it was a badass woman who made one of my favorite anime series of all time after this point, and that would be Sayo Yamamoto, who would go on to create Yuri on Ice. I love Yuri on Ice. Yuri on Ice is amazing. It's so good. I love it so much. I want more of it. Hopefully it'll come out soon. Mm. I don't know. Uh, but yes, I have it in my notes right here. I wrote, it is pretty horned up, which isn't a huge surprise. Like, there's the, like it's character. the line between cheeky nudity and, hey, big boys, look at these nudity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my God, if you want to see pulsing breasts, <laughs> breasts that definitely the blood is pumping through and, and I'll just say words like engorged, mm-hmm. I would say, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Uh, slippery, I would mm-hmm. say, it was a word, but yeah, it uh, <laughs> pendulous, but it also had pendulous. It also <laughs> has a darker, more serious tone as well. So, returning to that form, bringing it back to the OG uh, approach to this franchise. There were also three spinoff movies that came after that was primarily straight to DVD affairs, directed by animation director and character designer from this Fujiko series, Takeshi Koike. And uh, these movies are Jigen's Gravestone, Goemon's Blood Spray, and Fujiko Mine's Lie. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that kind of this era. This was 2012. <laughs> this era of Lupin was kind of a very interesting one, focusing more on the side characters, which I find to be a fascinating. It all kind of takes place within this within the Lupin fandom. They call a lot of this stuff um, uh, the third universe or some kind of variation on that uh, based on they share a character designer. They share uh, a lot of tone. Fa- uh, was it phase three of the LCU? Yeah, Jake. yeah. It's uh, <laughs> they all have a much more mature tone. Uh huh. Which is cool. I like the return. I like, again, I just like the rubber banding in mm. town that this whole thing has. There's something for everybody. The Italian Adventure uh, is another movie that aired in 2015 and has Lupin in a blue jacket getting into hijinks in Italy. It's a TV series, not a movie. It was a TV series, sorry. And Misadventures in France aired in uh, France in 2018 uh, or, or takes place in France. I don't know what's going on. This part, the notes, I believe there's blood on my on my... <laughs> G doc. Oh yeah, that's amazing. That's a digital digitized. Yeah, yeah, it's a digital document, and yet there's somehow still is blood all over it. I don't know how it happened. (laughs) That's incredible. And and it smells like piss too, which is weird for a (laughs) document. Through the monitor. Through the monitor. Yeah, through the monitor. Every time I pull it up, doesn't matter what computer, a a piss reek hits me in the face at this point in my notes. Uh, you also finally have uh, Lupin the Third Part Six, coinciding with the 50th anniversary of the first anime's run. It aired in 2021. It has Lupin the Third butting heads with Sherlock Holmes, much like his grandfather did so many years ago. There was uh, Maurice LeBlanc's Lupin uh, ended up doing a run with Sherlock Holmes as well. So I thought that was kind of fun. Due to uh, legal concerns, he had to change the name to Sherlock Holmes. Yes, outside of uh, mm. Japan, at least. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good one. Aired in 2021. Looks also to be kind of moody based on just even the art that I looked at. A little more serious. Why so? Uh, so there you go. Joker tattoos and whatnot. And then uh, the last thing I really have to cover is this CG film, Lupin the Third, the first. Anything you want to say about any of that other stuff, Jake? Every episode I've watched of part five and six has been delightful, has been uh, great mood, great music, great production values, 
classic characters are there and they like, you know, go into their past. They go into their motivations. It's like it's very enjoyable. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I did watch Lupin the third, the first. And this one, we're back to appropriate for all ages. We're back, you know. Well, yes, uh, the director, Takashi Yamazaki, was obsessed with Castle of Cagliostro, so it's no surprise this Lupin, heavily inspired by that one, and therefore, exactly as you said, back to broad and Ironically enough, in Castle of Cagliostro, it's a green jacket, supposedly the nastier Ah. Lupin, but uh, the red jacket is so solidly a visual signifier of softer Lupin now Yeah, that in Lupin the First, it's a red jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. But That's like cool. Fujiko Mine isn't strapped to a table and has her clothes. She doesn't have her clothes ripped off and she doesn't uh, get tortured by a weird tickle machine in this one. Um, Lupin is like at one point makes the anime spooky. I'm going to grope your hands, but immediately it's like, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. Like mm. it's very much a, uh, this is the Lupin movie you can watch with your whole family. Uh, also he, uh, kicks the butt of a lot of Nazis in this, which is always nice. fun to see. Nice. Nice. So yeah, no boners to be had, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the CG, uh, creation, uh, take on the character. This, this came out by the way, 2019. I mean, just still pumping out stuff up to today in 2021 for Lupin the Third Part Six, the the anime series, and uh, yes, the the uh, Monkey Punch. Uh, sadly, Monkey Punch was very excited to see Lupin get the CG treatment. Did not live to see the final product of the most recent film. He died of pneumonia in 2019. He continued to do various, you know, have various uh, input on on so many different Lupin projects. He even helped write the live action Lupin oh, the we third. Blew right past that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what can we even say? There's I, always I know a live. Was there a musical? I mean, there has to have been a musical, oh, been right? Two musical productions, one all women that I hear is actually incredibly compelling. Nice. Yeah, there's that. I mean, there's video games. There's it's been so many pieces of work. But yeah, he he, you know, he worked on Lupin stuff up until his death, and he was really excited to see the CG. Uh, treatment of Lupin even uh, and you know just seemed to have such a great philosophy about the whole thing he ended up teaching I believe as well Mm -hmm. after he was kind of semi-retired from uh, working on the manga full time so uh, yeah just a really positive interesting guy he seems really sweet in interviews and stuff like that I think the kind of guy that just was man just hit it big early and just coasted had a great time just pumping out these uh these uh, works and then and then always said and I really like this too about it. He was always really into different people coming in and taking the franchise mm-hmm. and doing what they would with it. And he found it to be quite exciting. As we already talked about, he didn't like his uh, role as director. I think he really enjoyed sitting back and getting to see what other people did with the character, which is pretty unique for someone who especially had full control over the original work. Uh, way back when just like throwing storyboards on the ground being like not horny enough yeah yeah he has to be grabbing that lady i want to see him the grab pages her. should be physically sticky from you have <laughs> masturbated your own work but i see none of that in this you know so yeah he was definitely and man i hope he's just blasting one out in heaven <laughs> yeah <laughs> Ah, what a wonderfully sacrilegious <laughs> message to end this episode on. But he dies on sacrilegious. You can blast one. So you can see that. Uh, thank you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, for joining us today. Uh, I've got one more quote to close it out. 
about Monkey Punch's general philosophy with his writing. Uh, anything else you want to say before we get into the final quote and the plugs? Lupin is cool. Lupin is debonair, yet charmingly goofy, yet uh, competent, yet a little bit of a fuck up. He is an avatar for every young man that wants to like go on a crime spree in Europe and make out with a supermodel and also like help out at the local orphanage. He is like this er protagonist through which you can experience an almost infinite number of adventures with a legendary crew that has his back. He is one of the best hero slash anti-heroes in the history of like just creative works in general. And if Mm -hmm. you are really just like, even if you had, if you kind of knew what this thing was about and like wanted to get into it, you absolutely will not be disappointed if you go in Look up like some of the best episode lists that are out there. Watch some of the movies and just like just have a grand old time. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I uh, couldn't agree more. Yeah, Castle Cagliostro, man. It's fucking awesome. Just watch that. So good. Uh, All right, here we go. The final quote from Monkey Punch. I want to make my comics in such a way that when someone picks one up and starts reading, they can forget everything else. Just totally drown in their illusion. Forget reality. Just enjoy. I want everyone to just have fun reading. And also, blast a huge one out. No! I'm sorry, I, that last part was me. Uh, but anyways, the everything else was him. And uh, I, I super enjoyed this one. Love doing these the, the anime ones. Especially, you know, I, we still need to do like Astro Boy. But I mean, I'm just so glad to mar- knock one off the list of like, I see this <laughs> as the influence for every single major anime manga writer like after after its uh existence so it's it's great to get get one of those in and finally have a better understanding it's going to help inform my work in the future when it comes to especially manga and anime episodes all right here we go thank you so much for joining us for this episode of wizard and the bruiser check out our patreon ad free episodes ad free ad free you got to get it ad free ad free Ooh. Uh, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew uh, and if you want me to hear that song for me again um, I'm, I'm on cameo I'm not actually on cameo but I might be soon who knows but regardless patreon.com forward slash whizbrew twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho that is Monday through Friday streams. Had a couple of Whizbrew fans pop in my Thursday morning gaming stream uh, today, and it always makes me so happy. I'm also especially pleased when they come in on the gaming stream because I'm like, hey, I'm doing the thing. Uh, the thing I talk about as opposed to when they come in and they're like, what is, why are you getting hammered with this woman right now? <laughs> Jackie from Page 7, our, uh, my my lovely sister podcast that I do. Um, uh, we do Jackie with the Holdies on Fridays is what I'm referring to. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenator. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Best Jake Young. Read all my thoughts and plops and look at cute pictures of my cat. Uh, I also, I'd stream. I stream. I do that VTuber thing. It's called uh, the Thursday Cartoon Dumpster, and you can watch it over at twitch.tv slash puppetjared or youtube.com slash puppetjared. It's a rollicking kind of Saturday morning cartoons meets Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of watch along party. And uh, people say they like it. I, who am I to argue? Uh, also, on go to TikTok. TikTok, Wizard Bruiser LPN. Go to Wizard Bruiser LPN on TikTok and watch uh, clips and Holden and me talking about shit we like. It's a fun time. Yes. It's awesome. I love it. 
go to TikTok, I guess, or whatever. It's they're weird over there, though. All right, and always remember. Never stop whizzing. And keep on bruising. April, just send us out with a little bit of the uh, Lupin the Third 89 theme. Give me some of that 1989 theme jazz as we make our way out of here. Take care, everybody. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.